The Lord be with you. And also with you. Blessed is the Lord who forgives all our sins. Beloved, we gather for ordered worship here in the nave of Marsh Chapel to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to warm the heart by the love of God, to illumine the imagination by the beauty of God, to devote the will to the purposes of God. The service, the liturgy, music, and sermon are offered for our congregation here in Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your choices of forms of service in our midst, and as the spirit moves come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. Today, we are delighted to welcome to our chancel in Coro Novo, our partner choir under the direction of Dr. Therese Provenzano. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
we pray together. Gracious Father, whose blessed Son, Jesus Christ, came down from heaven to be the true bread which gives life to the world, evermore give us this bread that he may live in us and we in him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Friends, forgiveness requires that we forgive ourselves. We may trust that God forgives us. We may know that our neighbor forgives us, but at some point, we have to let ourselves off the hook, too. Remember George Herbert's poem, so beautiful. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful? Ah, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame? My dear, then, I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. As the choir sings our traditional Kyrie, may we bow in silent confession and prayer. Let us pray. For thy pardon and peace that set us free, our souls sing in thanksgiving to thee. Beloved, if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson this morning from St. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians from chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. Will you listen for this good news? From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. 
So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Amen. Will you please join me in reading responsively verses from Psalm 32 with the antiphon. Blessed are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed are those whom the Lord does not hold guilty, and whose spirit there is no deceit. When I did not declare my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Then you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let those who are godly offer a prayer to you. At a time of distress, the rush of great waters shall not reach them. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You encompass me with deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like an unruly horse or a mule without understanding, whose temper must be curbed with a bit and bridle. Many are the pangs of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. now rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel lesson. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke chapter 15 verses 1 through 3 and 11 through 32. Glory to you, O Lord. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, 
the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But with, when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
Please be seated. Have you ever found yourself on the edge or the verge or the cusp of a new insight or maybe even on the edge of a whole new life? How much do you need to acquire, to achieve, to conquer before you are open to God? Open my eyes. Maybe this winter morning, this Lenten hour, you too will have a prodigal thought and will come to yourself. Such an interesting phrase, but when he came to himself, on coming to his true self. There was a man who had two sons. Notice all that is not here before us today in the gospel. No incarnation, no pedagogy, no transfiguration, temptation, trial, passion, crucifixion, or resurrection. Only the story about a man who had two sons, one who stays home and one who goes away. Most of the listenership and most of the congregation today know this story or at least have a vague, lingering memory of some of it. With the Good Samaritan, the prodigal son is the most famous of Jesus' parables, and rightly so. It is the account of lavish love personal, uncritical, joyful, parental, patient, courageous, magnanimous, ecstatic, gracious love, the love of God for you. God loves you. You are loved. So you can love. Because God loves me, I too can risk love. Prodigal means extremely, extremely something, wasteful, generous, or abundant. Our verb sounds and means in this way, and coming into himself, a moment in time, a process in thought. John Wesley got it right, saying, till then he was beside himself, as we all are, so long as we are without God in the world. But notice that the gospel of love is hinged today on a single phrase. After his travel and squandering and before his return and reception, the prodigal has a thought, and it's a prodigal thought at that. All of the gospel this Lord's Lenten day turns on this single thought. When he came to himself, when he thought to himself. Three pulpits ago, Pro Professor Roland Wolseley endured this minister's more youthful preaching. Now deceased, Dr. Wolseley was the preeminent scholar in the field of African-American journalism, through his post at Syracuse University, he almost single-handedly created the discipline through the publication of books, guidance of doctoral students, and a dogged, fierce love of his field, that is, the struggling, saintly newspapers and journals of the black community. Roland went to Medill in Chicago, Northwestern, and there in his 20s, in a university church, he fell under the spell of my own greatest pulpit hero, Ernest Fremont Tittle, at Eviston First, UMC, then the largest Methodist church in the country. Tittle, a pacifist, as was Wolseley, gathered a group of graduate students for fellowship and reconciliation. Wolseley met his wife, Bernice, there, and she went on to be for many years Tittle's secretary. You can read more about Tittle in Robert Motes Miller's older biography or in Christopher Evans' more recent monograph. In those Syracuse years, Roland, a person of deep faith and quiet humor, would trace the work of Tittle in contrast and connection to what he was hearing from the pulpit then. Occasionally, 
we must confess far too occasionally, he would leave church saying, Tittle would have been proud of that one. Another of those early 1940s graduate student couples that happened awaited us when we moved to Rochester, where Ruth and Vernon Lippett then lived. These people, who were young in the 1940s, were mature in the 80s and 90s, but had lost nothing of their early conviction, a combination of deep personal faith and active social involvement, found decades earlier in the embrace of a university congregation. Marsh Chapel, the seeds you plant today will flower and blossom and grow decades from now with telling effect. You won't be here to see it, but it will happen. So faint not, fear not, flag not. Roland also kept us alive during endless administrative meetings using punctuative humor. Our trustees usually hired the same painter to paint rooms, a fine painter named Bogus, when the decay of the building outran their native parsimony. When they couldn't wait any longer to paint a room, they made a motion at the meeting to hire Mr. Bogus. After the motion in the second, with practice timing, and with all knowing what was coming, yet unable not to laugh when it did, some things are just funny for no real reason, Dr. Wolseley would compliment the recent extravagance of the trustees in hiring Bogus, then add, speaking of Bogus, is this guy for real? In 11 years, I think I heard that question 30 times, is Bogus for real? And yet it always made me smile, it does today. After three hours of administrative board meeting, it doesn't take much, that's true. <laughs> Roland was a careful listener. He wanted the best for preaching, and preacher, and from Tittle he knew the best and he knew the rest. Once the sermon included the phrase, I thought to myself, and afterward he asked sharply, why the redundancy? Why not just say, I thought? He was probably thinking of William Strunk, omit needless words, offense that I have long since jumped as you have the scars to attest. But then I took his advice, except today, with love and real affection for Roland, who is now in heaven, we wonder when he came to himself. There is something in that lingering middle voice construct in a language like ours that has no middle voice. We have active and passive, but we have lingering forms like this one of the middle. The phrase shows the mind circling on itself when he came to himself. We do this in memory. We come to ourselves. We do this in discovery, we come to ourselves. We do this in prayer, we come to ourselves. Give some Lenten minutes to memory, discovery, and prayer. We do this in those moments when we realize that there is more to life than meets the eye. When we have a prodigal thought, a new, wayward, slightly reckless, excessive, extravagant, prodigious thought. So now I put it to you, how long has it been since you've had a prodigal thought? The prodigal son is prodigally reckless in departure, but he's prodigally excellent and ecstatic in return. His negative prodigality in descent is eclipsed by his positive prodigality in resurrection. How long has it been since you have come to yourself? Though no one says so, and to my knowledge, no one has yet so written, Luke 15 may be the most Gnostic of chapters in the New Testament. It's all about gnosis, self-knowledge, coming to oneself. As the Gnostics taught, 
We are trapped in a far country a long way from home, like a man who has squandered his birthright and moved from light to darkness. As the Gnostics taught, we are meant to get back home, to get back out from under this earthly, fleshly, bodily existence and back to higher ground, heaven, to the heaven beyond heaven, to the land of light, to the loving father like a prodigal son returning to the home that is truly his. As the Gnostics taught, there is just one way to get back home, one key to the magic door. And that way and that key is self-knowledge, the knowledge of one's own self, whence we come, whither we go. As the Gnostics taught, salvation comes from this sort of esoteric, personal, soulful knowledge when he came to himself. It is jarring, I give you that, to admit that this most traditional and most popular and most orthodox of parables may well have grown up outside the barn, outside the fences of mainstream Christianity. There is nothing orthodox about the prodigal and his coming to himself. His is truly a prodigal thought. I need to get back home, back to the land of light, back to the God beyond God. No Christ died for our sins here, no Lamb of God here, no settled Orthodox Christology here, no cross, no gory glory, no Gethsemane, no passion of the Christ here. Luke 15 all comes down to awakening, self-awareness, a moment of clarity, when he came to himself. The parable of the prodigal son is the most Gnostic, most heterodox of them all, stuck here in the middle of Luke, read here in the middle of Lent, interpreted here in the middle of March. This gospel challenges us to come out from hiding. You cannot forever hide behind a distrust of organized religion today. The prodigal thought soars beyond that. You cannot hide behind a disdain for clergy, formality, robes, choirs, altars, and candles. This prodigal thought pierces all that. You cannot hide behind the, the hideous moments in religious and Christian history, many there be, as a way to fend off the gospel, at least not this morning. The knife cuts deeper to the deeps, to the very soul. You cannot hide on the left behind a critique of Catholicism today. Prodigal thought soars beyond that. You may reject the celibacy of the priesthood, sacrifice of the mass, subordination of women, and, and infallibility of the pope. But many, very many, Catholics do the same. No. The gospel undercuts your smart but narrow critique and asks about your soul. You have one, you know. I cannot hide on the right behind a critique of Calvinism today. Prodigal thought soars beyond that. I may reject Calvinist total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. Not all saints persevere. Grace is eminently resistible. Atonement limitation is not divine. Election has a human dimension. And depravity, well, it is certainly present, but not total. But you know, Many Calvinists, very many, would agree. No, the gospel undercuts my own smart but narrow critique and asks about my soul. I do have one, you know. It asks whether we are coming to ourselves. It calls our bluff. Today the gospel attacks where we finally have no ready defense. 
goes to the mind, the soul, the self. As our Calvinist Lenten preacher partner this Lent, Marilyn Robinson writes in her essays, Death of Adam and Absence of Mind, prodigal thought is soul thought meant to change your life. She is a powerful voice today, honoring the mind. A prodigal thought is a tussle between the mind and the world, the mind and the soul, the mind and itself. Give her voice some space in your mind this Lent, she writes. It all comes down to the mystery of the relationship between the mind and the cosmos. Consider the deeply pensive solitudes that bring individuals into congregations and communities to be nourished there. The mind is felt experience, and we suffer today the exclusion of the felt life of the mind. Yet you have a singular capacity for wonder as well as comprehension. For the religious, the sense of soul may have as a final redoubt, not as argument, but as experience, that haunting eye who wakes us in the night wondering where time has gone, the eye we waken to, sharply aware that we have been unfaithful to ourselves, that a life lived otherwise would have acknowledged a yearning more our own than any of the daylit motives whose behests we answer to so diligently. Soul is a name for deep experience. How does your soul fare? Are you open to the challenge of a prodigal thought in memory, discovery, and prayer? In my 50s, I have come to myself, at least in one sense. I realize I now have time for opportunities I no longer have. Once I had opportunity, but no time. Now I have time, but no opportunity. I walked on the Charles River the other windswept day along the northern bank, along Memorial Drive, Mem Drive, as we say. The wind blew hard and cold. Now seven years into a delightful deanship with things rolling, no tenure to earn, ten books out, a thousand sermons written and delivered, and so on. I have the real mental and spiritual freedom easily to converse with my dad. But my dad died two and a half years ago. Now that I have the time, I don't have him. And when I had him, I didn't always have the time. I did some, but I didn't always have it. Now I have the time. Stepping along the riverbank in the heart of the city of Boston, he so loved, across the river from the university he so loved, thinking of him who I so loved, I came to myself, and what would I not give for another conversation with him? You know this from your experience. And so I am driven to memory. When he came to himself in memory. Our son is a 35-year-old lawyer in Albany. He wrote a letter to the editor of the paper there about a man in his church who had died. Ben wrote, the front page article, religion, more reply none, about the decline in our community of religious practice, particularly in my own demographic, young adults, forced me to think about why I still go to church despite its flaws. 
As I continued through the paper, I found my answer in the obituaries. I met Dr. Wesley Bradley at Trinity UMC about five years ago. I was immediately drawn to him, to the earnestness of his handshake, to the comforting advice he offered me as a new dad, to the way he proudly strolled down Lark Street with his lovely bride as if it were their first date. Although I did not know the extent of Dr. Bradley's professional accomplishments until I read his obituary, I knew the greatness of his grace. I witnessed the faith that had sustained him, and I learned from his humble and caring example. The church, Ben wrote, provides a time and place for God's grace to touch and connect us. But for the church, I would not have known Dr. Bradley. My soul, which now grieves his passing, would have remained unaffected. I go to church to feed my soul. It's not the only way to do it, but I think Dr. Bradley's life of faith is worth my generation's consideration. Thursday evening, this last week, we stood with 518-year-olds in the wake of a death of our own 18-year-old student. For many in their teens, this was a first harsh encounter with death. In a secular gathering, they offered their secular prayers. Some came to that themselves that evening thinking something like the following. We're not alone in our thoughts. We have each other to lean on. We'll lean on our friends, those whom we can share a hug with. We'll lean on our groups, classes, dorm and hallway neighbors, those who know our names and call us by name. We'll lean on our own traditions of memory and hope, so significant now. Those words, events, and stories that place all experience in ultimate perspective. We'll lean on our religious traditions wherein we sing and kneel. We'll lean on our faith, that dimension of life that is deepest and truest to our own most self, our soul, the dimension of deep experience. And we will lean on some snippets and memories of words and phrases. Goodness and mercy will follow me. Let us love one another. Love is of God. Let us watch over one another in love. And maybe, just maybe, we may be moved to wonder again at life, the meaning of life, and our own choices and actions and words therein. Not everything that is meaningful is measurable. Not everything that is measurable is meaningful. We will be thoughtful and we are not alone in our thoughts. Memory, discovery, prayer, what will it take for you? How much more do you need to acquire, to achieve, to conquer before you are open to God? God is patient. He waits like a dad who has time when his son does not. He waits. He waits at home, hoping for a little dust rising on the trail a long way off, a sign of a boy coming home. He waits, he waits at home, knowing the pig husks we can mistake for real food. 
He waits at home, having already given more than enough in inheritance. He waits at home, awaiting that moment that may come today, in a far country, in a rough circumstance, in an unwelcoming place, that moment of prodigal thought when he came to himself. My life flows on in endless song above earth's lamentations. I hear the clear though far off hymn that hails a new creation. No storm can break my inmost calm when to that rock I'm clinging. Since love is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? As we prepare our hearts for prayer, you are invited to stand, remain seated, or come forward to kneel at the altar rail. We welcome you to position yourself for prayer however the Spirit moves you. Compassionate and gracious God, for your love and faithfulness, we lift up your name in thanksgiving and praise. Because of your great love for us, you made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in sin. God, who is rich in mercy, thank you for this reconciliation through our Lord Christ. What a wonderful gift. And yet, we take the immeasurable riches of your grace for granted holding off our recreation as children of God to continue to live for ourselves and our, worldly, our pursuit of worldly endeavors. We are thankful for this Lenten focus on reflection and preparation, for it gives us a chance to recommit ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Walk with us, Father. Help us to strengthen our personal relationship with you. Help us to fulfill our personal responsibilities as Christ's ambassadors and be reflections of his pure love. We confess our sins and humbly ask for your forgiveness. We pray for you to create in us new hearts and renew steadfast spirits within us so that we will love our neighbors, help the needy, comfort those in despair, and simply forgive. 
We know that if we ask, you will answer. And so we ask that you abide with us. Grant the peace of your presence to military personnel, diplomats, missionaries, and all whose service takes them away from their loved ones. Give our elected officials the wisdom and courage to work together for the good of the country. We pray that they, along with leaders around the world, work together to make progress towards peace. Give courage and strength to those in the valley of the shadow of death. Comfort and heal the sick. Walk with those entering the fogginess of their twilight years. Give their loved ones and caregivers the compassion and patience to provide loving care. We thank you for hearing and answering our prayers, Holy Father. For we offer them in the name of the one who for our sake was made to be sin, who knew no sin, Jesus Christ. Amen. And now we pray together as he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, we pause to draw your attention to the notices printed in your worship program and especially to welcome those who may be with us or listening to us for the first time. Help us please to get to know you here in the chancel, in the nave, excuse me, by using the red pads that will come to you from the center aisle that we might greet one another by name following worship. And from afar, checking in with us by email or voicemail to let us know you're with us. We. Uh, announce uh, several things for Lent as we proceed toward Easter. And I'm going to ask uh, the following people to stand. And if you will hold your response and applause until they've all had a chance to stand and I've had a chance to introduce them, that will be helpful to us. These are people who are working at hospitality in our midst. The Reverend Dr. Robin Olson, would you please stand? I understand, Robin, that you'll be taking a group of students, graduate students and others, to lunch today. Is that right? right? You're celebrating St. Patrick's Day? A week early. You know it's next week, but you're celebrating it this week. Excellent. Rachel Cape, if she would please stand. She is our Director of Hospitality. She reminds us you may find your way to an Easter lily with this green sheet. You may notice we have four Easter services, Easter Vigil, Sunrise 9 and 11. Easter Vigil, Sunrise 9 and 11. Rachel will be gathering our two dozen families with children or whatever collection they're in for Palm Sunday procession at 1040 on Palm Sunday. Please connect with her to participate. Speaking of Easter Vigil, would the Reverend Dr. Robert Cummings Neville please stand? Former Dean of Marsh Chapel, my colleague, friend, and predecessor, former Dean of the School of Theology, professor of philosophy and religion and theology, author of just a few, many, many books, our preacher on Easter Vigil. Will you be present on Saturday evening just before Easter? And you will be preaching. And is the sermon written yet? Not yet. <laughs> Would Scott Allen Jarrett please stand? Please remain standing if you don't mind. Scott Jarrett, you have con con conducting now the new Thurman Choir, a non-audition choir for all who'd like to participate. Is that not so? 
When do you sing next? Soon and very soon. <laughs> Excellent. Mr. Mark Gray, would you please stand? Our growth in congregation requires more ushers than we currently have. Would you be willing to accept volunteers to the usher team in the days to come? Jan Hill, would you please stand? In a weak minute, a weak moment, just a day or two ago, you agreed to allow the men of the chapel to have an informal breakfast, eggs, and hymns on Palm Sunday in our residence. Is that not so? You are guided by the Spirit of God incarnate in people around you. May we greet and give these people our appreciation. Thank you. Thank you. We invite, we solicit, we need your support from afar and present. We need your material support to continue to support and expand our ministry. As the, as, as the ushers now wait upon us, let us offer our tithes and offerings. I got news, I got news, I got news, Lord, I got good news. I got a crown of men, I got news, got good news, got good news. I got a crown of men, I got good news, got I got news. 
Loved by thee, we may love others too. Bless these gifts and the givers, we pray. Amen. Bless us, we pray, O Lord, with thy spirit and the fruit of thy spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Amen. 